So today on the Sound Iron Podcast, we have Nick Let's Go. He is an American singer-songwriter, comedian, multi-instrumentalist. He is best known for comedic songs and videos released via social media, and he's amassed millions of views. He's got parody, he's got original music, he's got absolutely wacky, surreal videos, and we're excited to have him. So Nick, welcome to the pod. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Of course, man. So... Mike is like a massive fan of you. He just like posts videos, like every video you're you're in. He's just like, hey, you guys, check this out. We have a Sound Iron Jams channel and it's you're in there. No, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I can't post every video. Uh, Nick is super prolific. So I just <laughs> I just sprinkle just in some of the, uh, yeah. the special like the, the topical gems that happen to just click with what we were talking about that day. But nice. Yeah, right on. Well, all right. That's a good place to start. Um, because I think that if somebody was to arrive at your uh, YouTube page, they might be overwhelmed at first just with how much you uh, create and how quickly you create it to almost, there are a lot of humor musicians. I mean, I, I wouldn't just class you as, as like a comedic musician or parody musician, but but there's a lot of that and it's very timely. So you're able to kind of just flow in that. Uh, so just to jump right to that, how? How do you create so fluidly, so constantly? Well, I, I guess like I, I'm trying to think of the the best way to answer this without just like going on a 20 minute long tangent. You can this absolutely is a pretty, do that. This is a pretty <laughs> simple question, but um, no, it's I, I do feel like if you go to my YouTube page, it can be a little overwhelming because it's like you do have the more recent songs that I've been doing that are um, me typically very sweaty on singing about some kind of current event or whatever topical thing people are talking about online. And then my own weird storyline interjected in my grandma's basement or men in the tunnels or whatever else. Um, but before I did that, I worked for a company called super deluxe. My job there was basically to take, it started as like taking Trump's tweets and turning those into songs. And then that became Trump's speeches and there's a video element. And then we kind of just like copy pasted that, that formula with all these, anyone else who says things like crazy on a very regular basis, like Kanye West or uh, Alex Jones or whoever. And I think um, working for super deluxe kind of forced me to work very quickly just because there's an hourglass that I'm racing against in that. Like yeah. if it's a Monday and there's this trending topic that everyone's talking about on Monday, it's like, we got to get that song out before people move on. And I think that was like a training ground to get very good at kind of like keeping my ears um, open to what people were going crazy about that day. And then and then trying to uh, get something out as quickly as possible. That was like the best practice for what ultimately became my own thing. But like going even further back, like I, I went to Middle Tennessee University uh, and majored in they, they have like um a recording industry that's broken into like music business, audio fundamentals and commercial songwriting. And I studied commercial songwriting and I, I never really had any aspirations of comedy or anything like that. I really just was, uh, you know, I produced my first couple albums in my home studio and was working on like building a fan base in my hometown and putting together a band and trying to eventually get out and tour and do all those things. But at the same time I was trying to like, make a living and it's like the the amount of work that was going into trying to like build this thing that i was hoping would someday become a career um it's it's i'm sure you guys know it's very difficult like trying to build that while also working just like regular jobs so i was really trying to find 
ways to make money that also serve the same goals that I was working toward with music. Uh, that's kind of how I got my my start at Super Deluxe was just sending like unsolicited stuff to them because I was fans of other people that were working for them. And uh, I, I kind of by accident carved out this very specific line of work for myself, which was musical parody. And um, at Super Deluxe, my name wasn't attached to the work whatsoever. It was all work for hire. And it was it came out under the Super Deluxe business, you know, and infrastructure. And so when they shut down in 2018, I was in this really weird place where I'd kind of spent two years developing this certain skill set. And then there was no nowhere for me to go with it. Like every every anywhere else where I could have done that, like a funnier dour college humor, all those places were also going under. Mm-hmm. And um, it took me like another two years to actually start putting stuff on my own because I had like a major case of imposter syndrome and that I'd never really considered myself a comedian. And that I was just kind of, I just found a way to make funny songs and make money doing it. Uh, it wasn't until I just kind of decided to put some stuff on my Twitter that I realized like they, it's just, it's insanely surreal working years on a project, like on an album, like I had been doing and put it out and just have this very lukewarm response where you're not sure if anyone's listening to it and if they are, how they feel about it. And then making like a stupid, really fast, funny video in like a few hours one night and tweeting it. And then all of a sudden it like has a million views or something like that was like very much a green light of like, maybe focus some more energy because people are obviously like reacting to it in a beneficial way. When you started out, uh, like you said, basically, you know, you, you studied and you were trying to create content essentially for your resume to pad it out. Like all of us did, like I did, um, where you're just creating short, examples of what you can do and and say parody is a natural thing i, I remember doing the same in in college where because it was like the the safest thing to do quickly right where you didn't have to care if it, like if it was a commercial it was like a fake commercial and it's easier right. just to 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 be silly and and i think a lot of people you know start out that way and then getting into it having to say if you were to have gotten into say game composition uh or or short film composition or any of that like a lot of our our uh users do You've got to be quick. You've got yeah. to, you've got very short turnaround times, either because the time schedule is short or you're given the job at the last minute and they say, we need the music for this done next week. And you've got to move fast. And yet it's got to still feel right. So you, right. a lot of, uh, I think the default assumption about that is that you become robotic or you become, you phone it in. It's just cookie cutter stuff. There's no inspiration behind it. I would argue the opposite. You almost need to be able to fall into a flow state. Yeah, totally. It's really, I feel silly talking about it, but it almost feels supernatural in some ways. And that like you're kind of letting, you're trusting a part of your brain to just kind of like take the wheel and you're just trusting your instincts and going with it and knowing that like you don't really have the time to like to experiment. So it's like, I think I think one thing that I kind of took away from the the stuff that I started doing for for Twitter. And I, I kind of touched on this a little bit a second ago, but it's like my album swords that I put out in 2019 um, was like under construction for probably four years. And like things were constantly being like put in, taken out, mixed differently, you know, try like retaking things. And, and, and then uh, like I do these songs for Twitter or for super deluxe even. And it's like, it has to be done by this time. So I'm just going with, uh, my first instinct typically. And it's really just kind of an exercise in 
going with the first instinct. Like that's literally if there were rules that I posted on the wall, that'd be one of them. And then you look at the end result and you realize that like, and I'm not even saying one that is, is better than the other, but both work, you know, like there's, there's, there's different ways to do things. And I think it was very freeing to me to kind of like do this, the collection of songs that I've done after the past two years, as quickly as I've done and realize that like it, whenever you're working in that way, you're still very capable of putting out stuff that connect and resonate with people. And, and a lot of times even more so than stuff that I've labored over and obsessed over, um, you know, for forever. So, I, I mean, I, I guess a good analogy would be candy versus a, a fully prepared, carefully prepared meal. Both have their place. Like they, you know, your Twitter videos are essentially candy. And the, and I think it's obvious the reason that, that those tend to do better is because they're, they're not a commitment to right. experience. You just jump in, you get the, the, the dopamine rush of the, the comedy or the, the insight or the rage or whatever the, that package of media happens to elicit emotionally from you. Whereas an album, that's a, that's a slow burn. That's meant to be absorbed right. um, on a kind of a deeper level. And it, it can often be challenging. Not, not everybody wants albums that like kind of force you to sort of reckon with things or to experience on a deeper level. Uh, let me jump yeah. right into one of your serious tracks uh, that I think the most uh, people probably have heard uh, and also seen because I think we should talk about your visual work as well. Cool. Um, yeah. But but software, let's, let's talk about that. Um, okay. I have feelings about what that song's about, but I don't want to inject anything here. Can you talk about what that song is about to you? Yeah, I I remember specifically it was shortly after the um the Parkland shootings happened. And uh I mean it just seemed like it was, you know, I have no idea how many shootings there were that year, but it just seemed like they were just were like constantly happening. It was really just this kind of feeling of like man are things ever really like it, it's just the same uh cycle on repeat of like people get really mad and you know one side is saying let's not politicize this event we need to we need to be you know respectful of the victims and we just need to wait and to and it's you know really it's like let's wait enough time until people aren't like you know ready to actually do something about it and it's like realizing like how often it's happening how numb you become to it the line in there i think that uh probably was a, a starting point was i never remember their names it's like and then putting myself in the shoes of like, what if this happened to me? Like, this should be like a very urgent thing that everyone is wanting to find a better solution. But for reasons that aren't worth getting into, it's just like it, we're in this this hell loop. And, um, you know, I wrote that song probably five years ago, four years ago at this point. It's still, you know, kind of the same same place. But it's, it's funny because that song in particular was one of the last ones that I wrote for Swords and the, the album that it came out on and it was after i'd been working at superlux for a while and i think i'd kind of started working like th- that time probably th- that song i probably finished in a day or two versus some of the other songs that i was literally working on for years and i, I agree with what you're saying a moment ago about how you know it could be uh the difference of comparing a fine meal with candy and definitely i get that in like a, a, a you know a quick topical jokey song versus this thing where i'm really trying to be very intentional with what I'm trying to convey lyrically and, you know, textually what I'm wanting to put out there. But I also think aside from the subject matter of whether it's a joke or comedy or whatever, I think I kind of 
showed myself that um, sitting down and doing the work is going to yield results and just kind of trusting that you can get there. I, I think where I started on that record was, okay, I've been visited by the muse. I feel ins inspired to sit down and compose something and I have about a minute of music and then the muse goes away. And it's like, okay, muse is gone, I guess. You know, I got to wait till she comes back. And then weeks turn into months and months turn into year. And it's like, eventually, like, I think it was teaching myself that like, you can't always wait for that spark of inspiration. Like sometimes you need to like put your pen to paper and like work until it happens. And like, that is something that I think is just a skill set that comes over time. Like it's, it's, it's that same thing. I think we've already talked about. It's hard to really say what it is. It's like a flow state that you kind of got to train your brain to get, get your, like uh, the tain tracks in that divot to be able to operate in that way. In one way, I, it, it's sort of come to me that it, it's sort of more like learning out, learning how to throw the line and cast and catch the muse and pull it in when you need it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're not, you're not chasing the mute. It's 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 more of a current that is there, and you get lucky and are stricken with it. Maybe you're splashed with it when you, it sort of just comes upon you, especially earlier in life. If you you know before you develop the ability to sort of catch that, like whether it's a hook or a sail, whatever metaphor you want. Yeah. To me, it's a current, not a not a being, not a not a entity that you have to trick into or you know lure into visiting you, but rather. It's always there. You just have to learn how to tap it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Have you guys listened to David Lynch talk about uh, catching ideas at all? I haven't heard that, no. He did a master class, and it's kind of, but yeah, it's, he's just, it's, I mean, it's, it's talking about the same kind of thing where he, he talks about going fishing for ideas, and he believes that the ideas are out there. It's just kind of like opening yourself up to be able to retrieve them. Yeah, it, seem, it seems to me like there are a lot of different attempts over well all of human history to try to codify what that observance is and try to make set of rules or explanations around it yeah that really to me feel like the classic human need to codify everything into right, like right. well this is exactly how it works is exactly how you have to do it you know a tree doesn't have to learn how to grow but you can right. certainly stunt it or you can you can help it but often it's not the most restrictive method that yields the best fruit. Right. Yeah, totally. To jump back to software, because I think it's a good jumping off point about your work in general, there, there is a dual purpose aspect. And I, I wanted to break down the, the elements that I thought were kind of key, because if you see the video for it, it's pretty clearly about uh, school shootings. Yeah. But if you were to show this video to somebody 20 years ago, or maybe in 20 years, if we're lucky, uh, they may not make that association, but there are certain things that actually transcend that about individuality and, and maturity and the way our society seems to, well, there's a, I guess there's a fractal aspect to that video in that it could be about lots of different things in the same way. It's that the, when you talk about the repeating pattern, well, that kind of pattern actually seems to superimpose on all kinds of areas of our world and life. Yeah, totally. And I thought that was a clever bit about it being software and it being code, not that everything's a simulation, but rather that, that there are tendencies and patterns that do emerge. And if we don't see them, we can continue making the same mistakes blindly. Yeah, totally. And I, I think the, that record swords in particular, like, and it's kind of why that song is like the, the final song of the record. Cause it's kind of like, I don't know if epilogue is the right word, but it's the whole album is kind of looking at these different societal 
issues that were just in these like very kind of perplexing spots of like, how are we going to come out of this? And I think while the software was inspired by uh, school shootings in particular, I think most of the things that I'm singing about on that record could kind of be summed up in a similar way, as you just mentioned. The music itself also kind of has a part to play in that. I mean, the arrangement, not just the melody, not that, but like the first thing that will, that to me jumps out, well, there's two things. Everybody's going to hear the bass line and the drums. The way that the, the bass line repeats, it's one of those classic songs where one line can just underlie the whole thing. And yet you don't, like it travels. The song does travel quite a lot musically and the drums build and build and and yeah. they feel like they're made of these interlocking pieces that repeat themselves but then in a in a kind of a collage effect create something so much more complex that's cool man yeah i do think that song in particular more than anything else in that record uh just thinking about it i like i really don't know i think that main guitar riff or whatever and some other elements maybe loop from beginning all the way to end and it never there really isn't any change like the the chords stay the same throughout even though like um i've never really talked about or really even consciously acknowledged that i don't think but that that kind of like i i, I remember sitting down and creating that loop and i don't remember if i like exported like maybe a 10 minute version but i just went on a walk and a literal loop outside my house and just like played it on repeat and wrote the lyrics and um and yeah, then the goal was kind of to like to flesh this out in a way where it doesn't feel like a stagnant loop. But yeah, no, that is a cool kind of um, connection between the music itself and the lyrics that, yeah. you know, it's one of those things I would love to say that was intentional. But like, you know, I do think those things influence each other on subconscious levels as well. Yeah. The other thing to, that jumps out about that, that's actually common in a lot of your music, the the layered effects and and not just layering your voice but you you do a really exceptional job at working in your own backing vocals but they don't feel like it it, it does feel more like a chorus the vocal mix you tend to achieve is pretty pretty spectacular actually in that song oh thanks man it's it's almost challenging to keep track because they're not just oohs and ahs i mean you're you're layering in interlocking lyrical patterns that that stack up in, in really interesting ways. Oh, cool. And Thank you've you. got a counter melody going um, under the main uh, lead melody that by itself is an excellent melody. It's like you, your ear wants to follow so many threads at the same time hearing the song. That's cool, man. I appreciate that. I recommend everybody go out right now and pause this and go listen to it just so you know what the fuck I'm talking about. But <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the last thing I'll talk about before you know we, we talk about some of your other music is yeah. uh the the video for that because i think maybe more people have seen it uh because it's very visually stark the choreography how did that come about so we did um a music video for sideshow which was kind of like the first single on the record and uh the, the album swords was actually going to be called sideshow because i thought that song did a good job if if software was like the epilogue then uh, sideshow was just kind of the thesis for a lot of the themes and things that I was talking about on it and uh, not to go too far off on a tangent but the reason I changed the name to swords is because I kept accidentally naming all the songs s words like I got I got like halfway through writing the album and we'd be at rehearsal and I was like okay we got uh, stairwell and we've got shadows we've got sideshow and we've got superior and uh, 
my drummer just made a joke. He's like, why are like, are you going to name any of these songs, anything other than S words? You should call it swords. And then I was like, that's actually, I really like that a lot. So then after that, I intentionally started doing S words, but anyway, so I did this sideshow music video and, um, it was by far the most ambitious, um, visual project I've ever done. I have a collaborator, uh, Justin Cipriani, and we just called him like a million favors from, cinematographer and filmmaker buddies and puppeteers and uh other visual artists and it was just like we put a lot of money into it and we uh rented this old haunted barn in gatlinburg and shot this video over the span of two days and it was just like a ton of work and i really like the idea of doing another music video where i didn't have to do any of that work and there's a there's a local dance troupe called the pop-up project and I've been really, they, they, they actually, they do, they uh, choreograph these, these pieces and there usually is some kind of like social movement or statement connected to their stuff. So I thought it would be a good fit for this, 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 this song. And they, they really enjoyed it. And it was really more than anything, just an opportunity to let someone else kind of like do their interpretation of my work. And then, you know, I set up the, uh, the director, Eddie Resen Resendez, uh, shot it and they they did all the choreography and all the dancing and i was there for the shoot but really just to kind of like watch and enjoy everything i didn't have give any notes or anything like that so that's awesome yeah it was really cool it's really one of the rare moments where i wasn't just like kind of like pulling the strings over every little detail of something i think what surprised me is about that um some of your other tracks the puppets will absolutely come up but yeah but it's still, you know, even though it's all human actors, uh, it's still in the in a weird way had a, f a very similar feeling behind it, um, of a profound foreboding. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I yeah. would I would say that even a lot of your comedy pieces have. Yeah, uh, totally. Yeah, there is there is a subtext. There is uh, there there is right. like a slight like a you know in a weird way like the the Alex Jones parody piece. Like there's a there's a menace in it that. That the, yeah, the, right. the gentleness of the the visuals and the um, the music absolutely, you know, sort of hide. It, it's funny because I think in another kind of subconscious way, a lot of these, like the three main projects we're talking about, which are Swords, uh, the Super Deluxe stuff, and the songs in the computer, they all kind of like communicate with each other a little bit. And that like Super Deluxe was me like, in order to write the Alex Jones song, I needed to watch hours and hours and hours and hours of Alex Jones and same with Trump. And it really like was hard not to like get a very bleak <laughs> uh, view of the world, listening to these people talk. And then not only listen to those people talk, but then putting out the song and seeing how many of their followers were reaching out to say how right Alex Jones is about everything. And like, it, and I think that kind of bleak worldview uh, bled into like the, the songwriting on swords and um and i think it came through in the music videos as well and what's funny is after i finished swords i was like okay i really want my next project to be a lot more fun and uplifting and not as foreboding and i just kind of want to like find a way to make like happier music and um then the band the pandemic happened and 2020 happened it's like things got they went from bad to worse somehow and um Again, this is like, I didn't sit down and say, I'm going to make happy sounding music as a way to kind of deal with these really dark, scary things that are happening. But that is something that after the fact, I look back and realize like, oh, I kind of got what I wanted, even though like things got darker than ever. I found a way to like make 
some like fun, happy songs, even though they're dealing with pretty horrible and terrifying issues. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's inescapable. Uh, so you, it's almost like you have to just keep learning how to swim in the new water. That yeah, you, you know what I mean. Like you, right. it gets worse, but there's not like you can't just like this is worse. I'm gonna complain to the man. There's no manager. Nobody's right. You know, right. It's right, like right. Yeah. I want a refund. Okay. Yeah. And now what? Okay. So you're gonna are you gonna learn how to deal with this? You're gonna thrash on the ground, and you in the end have to just adapt uh, right. and continue with you know, who you are and what you're doing. So I want to talk about the puppets now because yeah, yeah. like, I, I don't like as an, as just a viewer, like, and you, I mean, you're the, you're, you're the, the, the voice, the presenter in that, you know, in, in your videos. So one has to blame you. <laughs> they're fucking terrifying, but they're amazing. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, I mean, like, a big part of that comes from me not knowing, like, I'm not a trained, I ju like, it's just like, I, I genuinely have no clue what I'm doing when it comes to making puppets. And that, I think, like, uh, contributes to, like, some of the, I don't know. Like, hell muppets. Yeah, 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 exactly. So I think, like, there's a feeling of, like, uh, I don't even know what to call it. Like, I think, you know, I just did this song about uh, the Coco Melon family. And like I like that whole concept of that song kind of came from a place of like, OK, what's something that like isn't supposed to be scary, but is like undeniably like creepy. And I think it comes from like the very poor animation, like these these characters are very poorly animated and it kind of gives this almost human. But like it's not like outright sinister. There's just like something like under the surface that is very unsettling about it. And I think that's kind of the same thing that's happening with my puppets, which just comes from me being very, uh, I don't know, unlearned in, in making puppets. Uncanny Valley. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a parody element to their, their design, but it's also wholly unique. The, it's like when you see them or I, when I see them, I'm like, I get weird, like flashbacks to like, Chuck E. Cheese, but it's not like Chuck E. Cheese stuff. It's <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. What I mean by that is like it's sort of like the 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 you'd go to Chuck E. Cheese or you'd go to, you know, you'd see the, the Muppets or watch Sesame Street. And then if you happen to have a nightmare, the puppets that show up are the ones from Nick's videos. I mean <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, another element of it is like I started making my own puppets and then I started hiring other people that actually knew how to make puppets to make puppets that were influenced by the puppets that I made. So that even adds another element of like, like my bass player, greasy Rick, who is like the main character in that sideshow video. He has actually taken my very, uh, kind of grotesque and, uh, like, it, it's just so funny. If you look at any of my puppets close up, there's all this like matted hot glue. And like, it's just like very, looks like a, a little bit like a child made it and um but he kind of like took my design and he he does these thing uh actually i have them right here one second these uh eyeballs that like he uh he he they're like they're <laughs> tennis balls cut in half and then he puts i don't even know what he puts but he like has something i'm gonna get him closer to my camera so you can get mm. a good but like they look like that you know they have like this sheen this gloss to them and he has like carved little like bloodshot like veins and stuff, which gives him like this is not something you typically see on a puppet, which is, I think, a really cool added element that he kind of brought to it. It's like you have this very crude puppet now with this very kind of like realistic looking eyeball that like I think that is um 
an element that is not my touch whatsoever. It's totally his. He's his yeah. name's Eric Param. He actually he's the one building this studio as well. Uh, this was just like an old, scary, unfinished basement, and he's been working down here over the past like three or four months, kind of turning it into our new uh, rehearsal space slash studio. But anyways, it, so that's uh that's Eric Param Greasy Rick, who uh, I give credit for the scary puppet eyes. How is how is his name in, in no way related to his nickname? <laughs> well, actually, I did pull. Uh, I don't even know if he. It took him a while to get this. I had to explicitly tell him, but I I got Rick from Air Rick. Ah, okay. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's let's talk about that a little bit because you have a have a lot of sort of an ensemble uh, vibe in a lot of the videos and in the in the in your arrangements. There's a lot of instrumentation that's pretty uncommon. That like gives me my little spider senses. Uh, the tingle that you were in like marching band or concert band in high school. No, man, I was, I didn't do anything like that. Although um, one of the band members, if you've seen him in any of the recent like live shows, he goes by cowboy John, but his name's John Elliott. And he is um, like a band director for a middle school. And um, he does a lot of the horn arrangements. So maybe you've heard, maybe you're hearing some of that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, 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 and swords at least, it, you know, the, it's, 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 been really cool in that like i don't know how far back um you guys have gone my stuff but like my first record it, we'll just say etc even though i was doing stuff before them but etc was just me totally everything's in logic if it's not guitar or vocals or keyboards it's all or bass it's all like midi drums and i don't even know what else is on there but most of it's like midi and um swords was written in the same way where i wrote all the songs and recorded them with all midi instruments but then we went into a studio to track real xylophone and real saxophone and real drums, not on all the songs, but for a decent amount of them. And um, during the pandemic, the the we're kind of working on like the next like non-comedy album now. The, the last few years I've really focused on uh, songs on the computer and whatnot, which really was me kind of reverting just to like me working by myself with the, you know, like MIDI drums and synth bass and stuff like that. But this, the song we released in 2020 spineless was like the only thing, like the only non-comedy thing that we've done since swords. And, um, it was the first time it was in the middle of the pandemic and I was writing the song and I sent the session to John who had just gotten, I don't even, I don't even know if he's using logic. I think he's using GarageBand, but he tracked, like all the the sax stuff like it, we didn't go into a studio to do that like we just did it all just by sending tracks back and forth to each other and that really i i think is like in the next step in the evolution like him having the opportunity to like uh play around with layering things like it really was kind of a game changer just because like the stuff we did for swords it's like okay we booked two hours at a studio and it's just like i don't know having the freedom to like just stay in your space and just take something as many times as you want, play around with something, realize something isn't working, try something else. I think also what I was hearing is there's a lot, your arrangements tend to be eclectic. I, I think in a lot of the same way that people who have to compose game music or advertising music or even, you know, filming, basically composers, you you have to be able to just jump from genre to genre and feel completely at home with it. And you do that a lot. Uh, I think listening to Swords, every so song is basically in a different genre ever so slightly. Uh, and, yeah. and your parody music is that too. You jump all over the place. I think a big part of that just comes from my influences in like, uh, I think the obvious ones are probably like Ween, who, you know, like they did like 
a country record and then they do like a whole record that's inspired by like i won't say like sea shanties but they have the record the mollusk where it's all like kind of nautical piratey sounding songs and then they have their their beatles like brit pop inspired record like and then some records just literally just like you know hardcore punk to like really pretty acoustic ballad and i know uh they, they've been a huge influence but like at, going all the way back and just looking listening to like the, the beatles did that a lot like you know from like rubber soul to the white album like white album every track on that is pretty drastically different and and i don't know like i i, I love tom waits and um talking heads i think they're like a lot of my favorite artists kind of like jump around and never really stuck in like one lane and i think that's just another thing that's rubbed off of me all right so to jump into vocals your singing style tends to in like in certain vocal lines it's very clear whether or not you're trained you have an exceptional level of control over your voice over your uh over your tone you have uh good control but then in other tracks you have a very casual almost like sort of a Southern style that you use. How did your, uh, well, what was your journey to become a singer? How did, how did that come about for you? Man, well, I I mean, like I did a choir. I did choir stuff like in like church and like elementary school. I mean, not in any real significant way. I would just, my parents would sign me up for plays and stuff like that. And then uh, other than that, like I didn't have any sort of, real interest in singing but i did start playing guitar very young and like i got my first guitar when i was nine and i immediately started writing songs and uh was already like had my first band in middle school and at that time i was really a big fan of like pop punk like blink 182 is my favorite band in the world when i was in middle school like i got the tom DeLong blink 182 guitar and i kind of grew out of that like in in high school and i was more into like uh sublime and dave matthews and kind of went through like the jam band kind of phase and uh played with the band all through high school and then i guess in college was like when i got my first student version of pro tools and actually started like recording my own stuff and i guess it's just lots of experimentation and i know that initially i hated the way my own backing vocals sounded against my lead vocal and i don't know what i've done to remedy that over the years but i do remember that was like a thing that like i really was bothered by but i think i've kind of grown to i think maybe it was just like something that i wasn't used to hearing in other music and maybe i just got used to at some point i'm not really sure what that was when mixing vocals backing vocals and lead vocals uh oftentimes it's really challenging to not just in how to mix them relatively and how to balance them in terms of eq and all that but where the backing vocals sit relative to the music are the backing vocals part of the vocals or are they part of the arrangement of the music and right. should they be treated like an instrument or a centerpiece uh i mean obviously there's no real rule for that but i do think that you have of the people who i think i i personally am amazed by their the, the way they weave their backing vocals you and imogen heap i think are oh, my wow. favorite like for for female vocals her and for male vocals you that's awesome thanks dude um, i really appreciate that uh, I mean, I, I should just come out and say this. Maybe I should have said this at the top, but like this conversation in itself is extremely intimidating for me just because I am such a novice. Like everything I've done, similar to puppetry, everything I've done in um, audio production, I just like really don't know what I'm doing. I just, I, I'm extremely patient and I click every button until it sounds like I think it should. And I could never tell you 
technically what I'm doing or the reason for why I did it the way I did it. It was just kind of like the thing that made sense uh, in playback. And like, I, I am lucky in that, like I've surrounded myself with people who are way more knowledgeable. My drummer uh, mixed swords and masters a lot of like the songs of the computer stuff. And he's a really great engineer and have a lot of other good friends who are also pretty. So they like when I do have, when I get stuck and I need answers for why something isn't sounding how it should, I have like great resources, but I really am just pretty illiterate when it comes to like <laughs> how, what I should be doing when I'm mixing well, something. Should is a word that I think is, is uh, it, it's a bad word. In a, in, yeah. in in music, the word yeah. "should" is a very personal point of view, no matter right. who it's coming from. I think the way I would say it is that the proof is in the pudding, and yeah, that's really you know, and and your intention to create music the way you do, and your willingness to overcome your own limitations and lack of training, and just simply just do it until it works, is I I think ultimately even those who have got training can learn a lot from what well or a lot a lot of with training have had to learn that lesson yeah um you doesn't matter like the training helps you prepare for the situations but if you rely on your training in actual in the actual creative process and and sort of do it blindly you you will not create good work very often because you know like trying to find the muse understanding that like you know you can learn how to write but it won't make you a writer right yeah a writer is is a is a is a course you know a flow that you go on, uh, you know writing. Whereas just knowing the the mechanical structures to write help you make sure that it's it's intelligible to an outside audience. So learning how to engineer and having to know all right, well, what do other people think sounds good? All right, then how do I work within that framework and context to get what I'm trying to get across? Right. That's a much more intuitive, raw um, capability that I think is open to a lot more people than those who have gone through a lot of training. And 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 for some kinds of people, training actually doesn't work. It doesn't work because your brain won't let it work. You you know, if if you've got right. a, a really intense, say, hyperactivity, it's often you know grueling to sit still, much less through a long training course. Whereas if right. you can get just get in there and get your hands dirty, yeah, it comes to you talking about like working within limitations i feel like has always been uh, like I, I think anytime it's like having like every opportunity at your disposal and not i'm not talking about just music just anything like in in writing uh for tv or writing for for whatever any kind of writing it's like it's whenever you can write about anything i that's very crippling to me like if i'm like given like this is your job you need to write about this and i'm given parameters uh, like my first record it's not on spotify it's called heart of mold um i had a 12 track version of pro tools um and because i had like the limitation of only having 12 tracks i couldn't really do like full drum kit or like capture the full band sound that i wanted so i did like an acoustic americana thing with just like acoustic guitars and like snaps and claps and stuff like that and when i graduated from that i work in logic pro x now it, you know obviously like I, my world has been expanding gradually um like uh and that's what this new space is like i used to work in you know the closet from uh all the songs in the computer videos and like i didn't even get studio monitors until maybe <laughs> two years ago i mixed everything in headphones and like i'm kind of at the place now where i feel like I have a confidence in what I do know how to do. And like, I want to push myself to like expand and learn more. And um, the sound iron 
sounds that I got was the first time I've ever worked with any sounds that weren't already in like logic. And uh, on the one hand, like I kind of liked having that limitation of like, you know, I have what's to work with here. And I really liked that you guys reaching out to me was really kind of like kicking me out of the nest and like saying like, there's, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know, like there's so much uh, more out there and it's been a really cool, a really cool timing with everything else. Like it really, this space and I'm really kind of getting the wheels off the ground and figuring out what this next follow-up project for swords is and everything about it is kind of like looking into like, what can I develop? Like what, like what can we improve on? Like what, you know, I want to just, I want to keep learning and not just kind of stay in the, the bubble that I've blossomed in, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think to look back to sort of the big picture is that I think you're describing it's not just about music. It's not just about creative work. I think that this sort of journey, I think, honestly, can apply to any person in any circumstance. Yeah. Where there is a the imposter syndrome, I think, point is something that everybody feels in like, you know, the first fast food job you have, you show up, you don't feel like you know what you're doing. You, you know, you're right. You know, there's a fear built in to to be you don't want to be a fool in front of others. You don't want to stumble and you don't want to break something. And obviously that can lead to other kinds of sort of like follow on effects like, well, if you get frustrated by that, you might want to directly break, the, you know, deliberately start smashing things, you know, kind yeah. of like going in any social route versus others where, you, you know, you might become just hyper vigilant and extremely nervous all the time that you're going to step wrong, that you're going to fuck up somehow. And everybody, I think, faces that through so many parts of their life the arts are where a lot of people go to escape that because they become the the definer of what is success, at least initially. I think a lot of people, whether they go through intensive, uh, you know, sort of formal training or are just sort of self-taught yeah. in the music and the arts, it's more like what the key that, that drove them, that, that spark that is magic is that willingness to overcome the fear of yourself, to stare into the void a little bit, you know, sometimes you're just pantomiming what you already like and trying to get good at that. But you still have to confront right. like if you put a microphone in front of a kid and their own headphones, I almost like as soon as they're old enough to sort of like self-recognize, they hate their voice. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody thinks that they, you know, like, oh, no, like everybody when they hear their own voice is appalled at how horrible they sound to themselves. Right. It's. Uh, I, I've been noticing this over the years. Everybody hates their own voice, and it's overcoming that fear. I mean, in other ways of creating, writing your own, you know, like it maybe doesn't come back to you in the same way, but it's it's still telling. I think in that we fear to to witness our own flaws and compare them to what is out there and is told and presented to us as the ideal and presented in a way that it's pass fail, not that there's a gradient of success. And right. Yeah. If you don't accept that there's a gradient of success at any given challenge, you will never really start. You know, like you've described how your own creative process through this, through your career has evolved to take what was around you and what you could do and do the best with it and then move on to the next. I think that there's, you know, there's a lot you can gain from that in every aspect of creating, whether you're picking up equipment, like say a lot of musicians at a certain point get into a, a fixation on microphones which mics to use, how to position them. And a lot of times you're you're drawn to different blogs and resources on, you know, that outline standards and and rules and the math behind it. 
the list of the correct microphone to use, but you're never really um, sort of allowed, unless you take it upon yourself, especially since they're typically pretty expensive, to listen your way to finding what works for you, what right. makes sense to you. I, I think that, and that's an example, or like guitars or any kind of instrument, you're you're sort of chasing the the, the the correct way, but it's often very difficult because your own ears may not mesh with the correct way. Right, yeah. But there might be millions of people whose ears are like yours. And so you, you have to maybe arrive at a conclusion that there is no one correct way. There, there are ways, and it's finding those ways uh, is, is the challenge. And there's also like uh, what's the quote from john lennon where he's like i'm an artist and i like if you give me a tuba i can figure out something to do with it i think that's kind of helped and hurt me in a way in that it's like uh i'm gonna make do with what i have like these are you know i have this guitar right now i have this microphone right now i'm gonna make an album with it and then when i do it it's like okay why would i need another microphone you know when like that's kind of like i've gotten to the point where it's like i would like to experiment with other microphones like i put myself in a box kind of intentionally that i'm hoping to get a little bit outside of i bring it up because that's been one of my journeys is like microphonics that's like the where the the sound hits the digital interface or at least the electric interface it's transduced into information and for, and so it's one of the key moments where the equipment does matter yeah yeah i right. mean you can get like say getting away from that the microphone cable there's only so many gradients before you're all right now i'm at a star quad and it's you know got gold contacts. Uh, okay, so that's going to be flawless. Now you know now there's better and better preamps, so you don't have to worry about noise. You don't have to worry about clipping as much, things like yeah. that. But the microphone really hasn't changed that much since the 30s and 40s. Uh, not invented by Hitler, <laughs> <laughs> but but in a certain way hasn't. You know that we've gotten away from ribbon mics to dynamics and condensers and electrets. There's, you know, the question of pattern and, and how pattern is more than just, okay, like shutters on a, on a camera or on a, on a light. Yeah. You're trying to focus. And how are you focusing? What is that? What matters to you in the space or in the room you're in and the environment? You know, and yeah. I mean, it's like internal focus versus external focus. What do you choose and how are you choosing it? What is it here? Are you trying to shape a aesthetic narrative with the microphone choice? Well, maybe they're going to go with like, go back to ribbons, or you're going to go with something like a dynamic that has a dark, muddy sound versus, no, I want all that crisp clarity. I'm going to go with a condenser and maybe an Omni to get all of it, or maybe I do want to focus in front of me. Um, yeah. At least for our instruments, like that's sort of always been this goal is like, if we're going to allow different microphone positions and set them up, they have to have a purpose beyond just, oh, okay, this one's three feet away, this one's six feet away, this one. Right, right. There has to be creative differences to choose from as well. So if you're choosing one or choosing the other, you, you get like some flavor. You can, okay, this is going to give right. me a better vintage sound. This is one, this one sits better up front in the mix. The point is to, to try to capture like idealized starting points. And then the, the, the artist, the creator takes those instruments and can mix them however they want and shape them further using effects and arrangement to achieve what they're really after, which is sound these sounds are really just the building blocks they're not they're not the star of the show they're the paint you're the painter right. yeah so like equipment chasing things like that i think there's a big part of that that's in the creative exploring process but i do think that there's a lot of it that's sort of both sanitized and and hidden from people 
under the sort of auspices of technical propriety and correctness, this is the right mic, this is the right arrangement. And people don't, I mean, like all the people like you might have mentioned as inspirations, examples, like Tom Waits, there's tons of experimentation in how to set things up and to get the sound you want. You know, and it's not about, oh, what's the best instrument? What's the best mic? It's like, well, no, sometimes you get the shittiest one. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you put it in the shittiest place because you're trying to get the just that right flavor of shitty. Because yeah, that- yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's that's total. Yeah, Les Claypool has, an, like, sometimes the wrong note is the right note. Yeah. And that's definitely kind of stuck with me over the years. I uh, just lean over and grab this. This is Bluebird mic is the, I've literally, anything you've ever heard me sing has been on this mic. I just got this uh sm7b like for my birthday last week so i have i'm like this is one of the first times i've ever used this microphone but now these are my i got two i doubled my microphone collection yes my collection well i have you know i obviously have all these mics for recording live stuff but i don't ever touch those very nice (laughs) can you tell us about your special relationship with spirit halloween yeah so when I first started doing songs on the computer, I had done like I Want to Be at the RNC and uh, I actually got an email from someone at Saturday Night Live. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Saturday Night Live at NBC. Yeah. And they basically were like a week from starting their new season and they wanted me to submit a audition tape. And uh, there was a Spirit Halloween that had opened up not far from my house. And I attempted to shoot my audition video in a spirit Halloween where I kept getting interrupted by these animatronics that were scaring me. And I didn't even end up submitting that because I couldn't get like it just didn't work well. But I got all this footage of me getting scared by spirit Halloween animatronics. (laughs) And um, and I, I, you know, I was just like, obviously, the Saturday Night Live thing didn't work out and I didn't do that. But I it kind of became this like green light for me to be like i'm gonna do my own saturday night live and i'm gonna release a video every week which i didn't do that either but it did <laughs> kind of like it was this like this thing that fueled me to like start like making myself put something out and like so i already had the spirit halloween thing in the back of my head and i was i just thought it was funny that it was opening up as everything else was shutting down and like uh just kind of playing around with that in this unsolicited theme song where the whole song is mainly about them paying me to write the theme song than it is about their company in any real <laughs> legitimate way. Um, but I did it and I, uh, it, it did pretty well. And they actually did Venmo me some, they, they told me I'm not allowed to disclose the amount they, they sent me, but uh, um, they sent me some money and they said, get in touch. We'd love to do something else. That was uh, the sequel that we started talking about that I released a few weeks later. And that kind of started from a place of like, this feels like not cool. Like, the, like, I don't know if we could do this again and it could work in any real legitimate way because, like, you're now asking me to make, like, a commercial. And the whole joke about the first one was, like, what a bad commercial it actually is. And <laughs> Turns um, out it was kind of a great commercial. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Um, but basically they just said, like, they had this Unleash Their, Your Spirit was the name of the second song, and that was actually the name of this campaign they were doing where they were trying to inspire people to unleash their spirit, even though everyone was in quarantine and they were like, they were, it was this whole like quarantined Halloween party. And that just kind of unlocked this visual of me with my home filled with animatronics and me throwing a Halloween party just with all the animatronics. I actually thought that would be a lot of fun. And they freaking paid for like, it wasn't a hundred thousand dollars worth of animatronics, but it was a lot of animatronics. And uh, that's kind of how that started. And then the next year I had the idea 
that that one did really well. And they like a couple months later, the beginning of 2021, they're like, all right, what are we going to do this year? And I was like, well, I don't really want to do anything unless it somehow is bigger and more expansive. Just because like the first one was so um, minimalistic. I shot it on my cell phone is very simple. And then the next one was, even though it's not like an incredibly ambitious music video, it was so much more ambitious than the first one. Yeah. And I was like, if we could find a way to do that again and, and re- really expand it, but I really don't know how we would do that. So I kind of like just pushed pause on it for a while until I had this idea that like the world had ended and it was the apocalypse and we would rebuild. Or, or I guess I kind of got there later, but the idea was the world was over, but it's okay because Spirit Halloween's coming back. <laughs> and then that kind of from there went to like let's turn the whole planet let's rebuild yeah. as a spirit halloween and um i mean that would fit yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i i had this concept and i had no idea how i would shoot it like i i thought i wrote the song and i recorded it and i was really happy with it and spirit was happy with it, but i was like i literally have no idea how i'm gonna shoot this video and i reached out to this artist brielle garcia who does a lot of like uh vr and ar animations and stuff and i really was just wanting to see if she could help me photoshop like some dumb images of like there's a line in there about like let's turn uh the hollywood sign into spirit halloween it's like you could do this much better than i could but she just took the ideas that i gave her and actually turned it into this insane project that was like she uh she used unreal engine i think is what it's called i don't know if you guys know about that but she just built a whole spirit halloween planet in unreal (laughs) and then basically had me shoot this video on my cell phone through this weird app um, where she just kind of like took me and inserted me into this. It was, it was shot with like no green screens or anything, which was pretty crazy. But anyways, that's kind of that whole story. Dude, that's really funny. I like, so, I mean, when you go to your, your website, it's very video centric. Like you're, you're very uh, proud of your videos, which you should be because they are just very well done. A lot goes into them, but I like with your video ideas, you don't say to yourself, no, that's too big. We can't do that. You say to yourself, <laughs> how can we do that? And you yeah, like, figure yeah, yeah. out a way to do it. And that, that is really creative. Oh, thanks dude. Yeah. I would make a like, you know, and I, I have done this for the comedy stuff, but if I could do a music video for every song, like on swords or whatever, the non-comedy stuff, I would love to do it. And I, I think, I, I don't know through doing, you know, obviously I mentioned the SNL thing, which didn't go anywhere, but I've had other people reach out about other opportunities and like, I'm not an actor and I'm not a filmmaker and I'm not, but like, um, all of those things are very like appealing and like, uh, like f- fun challenges that I'm hoping I get like opportunities to explore more down the line. Speaking of film, could you tell us about how the movie Gremlins has impacted your music? Yeah. Um, so that song, where did the Gremlins go? I mean, that was another, I think I can't remember the exact timeline, but I think that was maybe the next video I did after spirit Halloween. And it was just another example of me trying to find things to, write about and i listened to a podcast and in this podcast they were um trying to come up with a horror movie for every letter of the alphabet (laughs) and for one of the letters they did jason versus gremlins i guess they said j make a movie that starts with j and they said jason versus gremlins and just the concept of gremlins versus anything was really funny to me yeah and i kind of just worked backwards from there of like what how like we've had every series half a dozen sequels plus reboots and then more sequels and rebooted again. It's like, why have we not heard of the gremlins in 30 years? And then I just took that joke and rammed it into the ground times a million. 
actually, you know, speaking of acting, you were uh, you mentioned that with the number of videos you do, there is a a persona that you're able to kind of create. You do seem to fall into character very easily. You know, I'm surprised you haven't done any uh, on camera stuff with Tim Heidecker's. Uh, yeah, uh, I guess network. Yeah, he I mean. It's funny because I've done a lot of music for on cinema and I did music for their lap Tim and Eric's tour in 2019. Or no, I guess it was the very beginning of 2020, right before everything shut down. The opportunity just has never really come up. And I've everything I've been doing has been so isolated. And it's kind of just now to the point where it's like, oh, I guess things are like kind of getting back to normal. Maybe like let's uh figure out what the next move is. Yeah, there just hasn't been any conversation or discussions like that. But I hope I'm hopeful, man. There is the the fear that like I do it and I'm just so bad at it. Like the like I can only do like the the, the truth is everything that I do in my basement on my cell phone, I can watch it and be like, oh, I did that totally wrong and then do it again and then watch it again and then turn it off. And you know what I mean? Like that's my process with music. You do a vocal take, you realize what you did wrong, and you try again. Like, and that's not a luxury you have if you're on a set with a director that you don't know well and you're doing something that you don't really know how to do. So that part is very intimidating to me, but I hope that I'd be able to kind of rise the occasion and do something interesting if the opportunity does present itself. I'm sure it will if you if you uh, stick to it. How many songs do you think you've written total? Um, That's a great question. I actually did the math when I moved. We, you know, we just moved from the old house to this new one, and I tried to figure out how many songs I wrote in that house. And between all the songs I released myself and that I'd done for super deluxe or netflix or other random jobs i think i had done over a hundred and i mean there's probably a couple dozen or so maybe 50 more that i wrote before then just because you know i released two band two albums in high school with my high school band we almost we had enough for a third before we stopped and then uh, it's hilarious to even like i don't i probably shouldn't quantify these but like in middle school and even in, like I think in fifth grade when we started doing this, I had a buddy who played drums and I had um, my Tom DeLong guitar and we would go to sound recorder on the drummer's uh, computer and we'd have like the little plastic microphone that came with like the Windows 98 or whatever. And our songs would be I would make up a guitar riff and then we'd press record on sound recorder and I would just lean in and sing into the little horrible Windows 97 microphone as I was playing along and the drummer tried to keep up like there was no songwriting involved it was literally just making up stuff at the top of my head and it all kind of sounded horrible but like we i wish it'd be so fun if i could find a hard drive that had all those songs because we recorded probably over 100 songs speaking of of all the uh late career left turns i think the tom DeLong has got to be the king of the the coolest or <laughs> weird I'm, I'm here for it i'm a fan i'm a fan I mean, often you make it a joke in your songs, but like you're sweaty all a lot of the time in your videos. Do you get sweaty when you're performing or singing, or is it a, like was that more of a what is that? What's going on with that? I do, I do. Um, like uh, you know, these shows that we've been doing, we started playing live again this year, and it was a very tricky thing because we're now introducing the whole comedy element, and it was like trying to like is a very delicate balance figuring out like okay, people are going to come to the show expecting a comedy act and i i still don't really view myself as a comedian in a traditional traditional sense but i know that people are going to be anticipating that element but i also have all this other stuff that i'd been doing and working towards for years that's non-comedy so it's like crafting a show 
that is a tightrope act between the two different sides of myself. And um, the show's been about two hours long to kind of like, it's really just kind of like in, in, in some alt world, maybe there's like a, a comedy show and a non-comedy show and we just kind of crammed it together. And they've been received and saying the well, but all that to say they're very high energy and they're very long. So I do get very sweaty, but I think anyone would if they did it just because it's pretty, you know, I'm screaming th- through many of the songs. And, but like, it is like, as far as like, do I just get like, ridiculously sweaty for very little reason not necessarily i don't i think that that uh i've kind of spilled the beans on how i did that i had like um a steamer that i would uh put like an inch from my face and just like let it get really wet and i'd also kind of like coat it with some vaseline and stuff like that and it really just kind of <laughs> started as um before i even started doing songs on the computer i, I it's funny because i keep saying like i'm not a comedian i'm not a comedian but i i, I did see some of the just like the how ridiculous people were responding to like early, early lockdown pandemic where people were just like throwing a fit that they couldn't go see a movie or that they couldn't go to a nightclub or whatever. And I, that was the first time I really got red faced and sticky and sweaty looking. And I was trying to like personify that type of person that would be so upset that they can't go see uh, the Joker or that they couldn't go to uh, their favorite bar or club or whatever. And, um, and then when I started doing like, I guess RNC was the first song where I got really sweaty and I was like, oh, th- that guy from that video would probably be that same guy. And then it just became a thing that I felt like I couldn't stop doing um, until I left the, the basement. And now it's like, not saying I'm done with that, but I do feel like that character, that alt version of myself has kind of had his arc and uh, might be uh, putting aside the Vaseline for a little while. <laughs> Hey, I, I, my assumption was that it, you were because you were in that little closet and uh, it just got hot in there. I mean, no, not at all. It, the funny thing is, is, the first time that I did it, I did actually like do a bunch of push ups and like uh, really tried to just get like physically as like as sweaty and as red faced as I could. But I realized very quickly that I could not sustain that look for as long as I needed to shoot by just like the most intense cardio. I probably should have done that. I've been being much better shape than I am now if I'd committed to that <laughs> why why do the the smart thing when you could do the quick thing yeah 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 exactly yeah because i like it was just funny because like i if you've ever like had an apartment where there's no air conditioning or I'm, i've known lots of talking to other audio folks about like you know getting swamp ass and like you know you're yeah, starting yeah. to sweat in your chair as you're working because like you're next to a hot computer in a hot like small right. room and and you just you know it's the middle of the summer or whatever but uh right that probably was happening, but not to the extent that it is shown at all. Yeah, what was shown is a bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You showed extensive, perhaps excessive, uh, dedication to the bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, so my my last question for you is, what's next for you? Slash, when's this new album coming out? Yeah. So I mean, like, it's barely. You know, it's really. It's. I'm very much kind of like debating, like, if it even is an album. Like, I think it. I just kind of have this, you know, I grew up listening to albums and making albums and I just kind of have this archaic idea of like what I should be doing. But like, I think all of the data shows that people respond better to singles Mm -hmm. and it's kind of like a debate of like, do I just stick to my old ways and release another album or do I make the album and then release it over time? And then at the end it's available as this collection that is an album or is it, I release an A side and a B side every month or, you know, like, so like it's not even, it doesn't even exist fully formed yet, but I'm already starting, trying to think about like, 
what is it and how will it be released? And I would love to start releasing stuff sooner than later, but that's definitely in the works and it's a top priority. And I'm hoping to get a lot of that done in 2023, if not released by the end of 2023. Uh, And I touched on this earlier, but it's something that I'm trying to keep in the foreground as I work on this next collection of non-comedy songs. Um, like as far as my observations of the state of the world were on swords, it's not like things have improved in any significant way, but it's, uh, it's trying to adapt my outlook in a way of like, and it's kind of shaping up to be more of like, kind of like, yeah, things, uh, may be awful, but like, like choosing to find the good and like put your attention there. So like in, oh, I see my cat has joined us. Um, but musically it's, 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 it's kind of like coming out in a much kind of like, it's the same thing I was talking about earlier about wanting to write more uplifting and more fun, happy music. I've just had to get very creative in how I approach those types of songs. And, um, there's a lot of like dark humor in that as well. But, um, you know, I'm only like two songs deep into this, this, whatever this thing is, but that's kind of, that seems to be how it's shaping up. And then other than that, the, the, the one big takeaway from these live shows is, is I, we keep hearing people talk about how they'd love to hear a live album just because like we take these songs that I recorded and wrote very quickly and we flesh them out. And it's like, you know, like the RNC song, we turn into a 10 minute medley, which maybe <laughs> sounds painful when you hear that, but we, we, we've managed to somehow keep it entertaining and we've definitely fleshed out and extended and, uh, expanded and improved on a lot of these songs. And, uh, I would love to try to do some sort of live album in 2023 somewhere. I don't know where that would be. One of the other things that I'm hoping to do soon is, um, I have a record that I mentioned earlier that was like my, technically my first record that I ever put out called heart of mold it's available on Bandcamp. I, I spent a long time kind of being a little bit embarrassed about it like i said it was like a folk record that i recorded on like a very cheap version of pro, Tool, pro tools that only had 12 tracks and next year is like the 10 year anniversary of that and i think i'm gonna do like an actual official release on all the streaming services um just because i've had fans find it and appreciate it and it's kind of made me revisit it with new years not listening to all the things that i was doing wrong and just looking at it as more of like a representation of where i was at that point which really was like i'd spent all of college being like man i want to record an album but i don't have a band and and it's like i want to record an album but i don't have recording software and then i get the recording software it's like well i don't have a good enough mic and it's like finally got to the point it's like okay if i keep doing this i'm gonna be 50 and i've never done anything so it's Mm -hmm. like I need to do something with the resources I have now that reflect exactly where I'm at. And that's what that was. And as a result, it's very raw and it was literally made by someone that didn't know what he was doing. (laughs) It sounds like that at times, but anyways, I I do plan to do maybe some kind of like 10 year release with that. I did a project in October where I released a song a week. And again, it was just like kind of reminding myself that when I like set goals, things get done and so I need to kind of sit down and figure out like how many videos, how many songs I'm going to release next year. And like, I need to give myself a deadline since I don't have a boss to do it for me. Great ideas in there. Uh, last, last question. Since you brought up Tom DeLong, let's go weird with it. Weirdest, most supernatural thing you've experienced, maybe connected to music. Yeah. But anything. 
Well, I think my song Shadows on Swords is like a direct, you know, I'm I'm writing about my experiences with sleep paralysis. And um I I had sleep paralysis for the first time probably in high school and I got it had it a lot all up until I got married. And maybe it's just the comfort of having another person in bed with you that kind of like stops that from happening. But like I was definitely really fascinated by and I don't necessarily believe I don't believe that anything supernatural was happening, but I do find it very interesting that like in this state in between awake and dream that all of these people have this shared hallucination of shadow people. And that kind of like brought up like the the feeling of like, is this just like some like core biological like fear? Like that's just like I don't know. Like there's a documentary about it called um I think The Nightmare that's kind of silly at times but also really interesting. I I'm kind of talking about this like you guys already know what I'm talking about. Have you guys heard about you know about sleep paralysis and heard about like how basically it's when you wake up and you can't move and you can't breathe and it lasts maybe 30 seconds to a minute. And what this documentary talks about is how um, many people in this state hallucinate like silhouettes of dark shadow people in their rooms with them. And that was something that was very uh, fascinating to me. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of commonality, but a lot of uh, variety too in the, in the descriptions. Definitely. Um, Yeah. And I'll be, I, I never actually saw, shadow people even though i experienced sleep paralysis mine was more like the sensing of a presence like just beyond my eyesight like if i was laying on my side it felt like it'd be right behind my head or something like that but um my brother also had it he claimed to see these shadow people and then just going online and hearing other people be like oh i also had that happen is like wait that's kind of a a weird thing like and and again like it, it makes sense to me like if you wake up and like i guess basically I'm the dumbest person to try to explain this, but, uh, you know, your brain sends a paralysis over your body that prevents you from getting up and acting out your dreams. And it's your conscious mind wakes up before that paralysis wears off. I guess it's like the inverse of sleepwalking, which is paralysis wears off before your conscious mind wakes up. Yeah. I mean, um, it's to prevent that. Right, right. So the, the thing that makes sense to me is that like your mind wakes up you can't move. You're still kind of in this like in between dream hazy place. So like, obviously the first place your brain will go is like being terrified because you can't move. And that makes sense to me why you would hallucinate some kind of horrible, scary presence or demonic entity or something like that. The thing that's kind of more interesting to me about it is why people have such similar experiences. There's a lot of, uh, I mean, I guess that's, it's one of those boundary subjects that there aren't really any right answers for because there's not really a, an effective way to test it. Like, yeah, back in the day, you know, there were a lot of movies trying to, you know, explore what would happen if you could scientifically examine these ideas, like with flatliners or anything else like that. The, I mean, still to this day, it's, it, people are, are, are sort of fascinated slash terrified by, this sort of unknown, but there's something there. It you can't scratch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess n- narratives or uh, ideas that oh well, like sometimes that presence is literally just you. You've detached your awareness from your body, and you're kind of still sleep floating off to the side of yourself. Right. Um. And so that weird foreign entity is your body next to you, uh, yeah, breathing yeah, in your right, ear right. because you're just kind of like your locus of consciousness is kind of drifted a few feet. Yeah. Yeah. That's the classic out of body experience uh 
right although there then there's also the idea that oh well there are there is this there are layers to reality and there are beings entities wildlife perhaps or any combination of them not all one like maybe there are dead people maybe there are things that aren't ever human maybe there are things that are just like flora and fauna of that kind of realm if there is this other space and there might be multiple layers of that uh, yeah but that maybe you know just off the edge of our awareness is this other sort of like ecosystem of sorts of uh of awarenesses or beings that in the right space where you've kind of disassociated from your body and your physical realm maybe you can you're not using your eyes but you're actually just using direct consciousness to perceive these other things right yeah yeah and i love just like kind of like playing around i I think that sort of like those experiences and that thinking is it it like influenced a lot of like the horror elements of the videos that i've done that kind of feel like they're in between like awake and dream like there's there are like these these creatures or whatever that kind of occupy the space and kind of like mining that for horror in a comedy song, which I don't know, like I love playing with that stuff. Do you ever hear music or sounds as you're drifting off to sleep? Not necessarily as I'm drifting off to sleep. I remember like, it's it's just funny. One of the memories top of mind of having to do with music and uh, falling asleep is I think the very first time, that I heard that I had sleep paralysis or I don't know if it was the first time it was one of the first times it was like I woke up to like fe- hearing like a chorus of angels it sounded like like just very angelic uh majestic singing which like as soon as I realized I was paralyzed turned like very <laughs> demonic rumblings and like whispers and like uh foreign language like I don't know like textbook scary stuff is what it kind of transformed to um, but yeah, no, n- not really as, as I'm falling asleep. No, that's uh that's one that's often reported, um, for me, like either waking up or falling asleep, sometimes in the middle of dreams or near the end of dreams, uh, music will start to happen. Like it's, it's like, a uh, I've definitely pulled song elements from that sort of oh, experience cool. or like yeah. little lyrical melodies and hooks. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Well, we've dragged you through, uh, an endless number of topics. That's good, um, man. So we should probably wind it down. Um, yeah, Nick, thank you so much for coming on the Sound Iron Podcast, man. We will send people to your YouTube channel to check out your epic videos, and we will send them to your Spotify where you can continue your healthy stream. I really appreciate it, dudes. It's cool getting to know you guys a little bit, and um, I'm excited to share some of the new stuff with you. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. All right, Nick, we'll catch you soon, man.